Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Our scripture for tonight is Psalm 128, um, and I'll read it for us. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, a song of ascent. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Tonight we're going to be talking about this really odd phrase that we see here in Psalm 128 um, that we actually uh, see throughout the entire Bible quite a bit. It's kind of an odd command, and that's this phrase, fear the Lord. Um, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, I say this is odd because uh, most of us don't know what to do with a phrase like that. Uh, for many of us, it kind of conjures up um, less than desirable images of a maybe a tyrannical God who places endless demands on his subjects, uh, demands that we inevitably can't meet, and so we're left fearing this distant, deranged God um, up in the clouds. And then for others of us, uh, maybe the phrase isn't quite as off-putting, but it's still a bit confusing because, after all, God is portrayed as well all throughout Scripture as a caring father and a loving groom and a good shepherd and a healer and a comforter and a counselor. And we could go on and on and on with these attributes of God. So what's there to fear? Like, why is Psalm 128 telling us to fear this God. It's, it's confusing. Um, one pastor, I love the way that he kind of captures uh, this. He puts it this way. He says, does it strike you as strange that we should be encouraged to fear and hope at the same time and in the same person? Do you hope in the one you fear and fear the one you hope in? It's usually the other way around. If we fear a person, we hope that someone will come and help us. But here, we are supposed to fear the one we hope in and hope in the one we fear. What does this mean? It is uh, strange indeed. It's a weird uh, kind of phrase, but Psalm 128 helps us understand this phrase Uh, And rather than being a hindrance or a deterrent uh, to the Christian life, according to Psalm 128, in so many places in the Bible, fearing the Lord is actually at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's actually at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So uh, we um, could spend hours and hours talking about what this phrase means. And so obviously we're not going to be able to get to everything, nor do I even know everything, but I want to highlight just a couple of things that we see from this passage, ways that we can begin to taste and see that the fear of the Lord is actually a good thing. 
for us. Um, so the first thing that I want you to see, the first thing we're going to discuss is that we all fear something. We all fear something. I want you to look at verse one. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The reason I know that we all fear something is because uh, we all walk after something. The reason why I know that we fear something is because we walk after something. To use the language of the psalmist, we all walk in the ways of something we fear. The logic of Psalm 128 is that we know those who fear the Lord because they walk in a certain way. They walk in his ways, if you follow me. The logic of the psalmist is that those who fear the Lord, that we know those who fear the Lord because they walk in a certain way. And so we can flip the, um, this verse's logic on its head and say this. We can say, whatever way that you are walking in, whatever road, whatever pursuit, whatever code of conduct is structuring your steps and your life and the way that you move and what you're moving towards, that is the thing that you fear. And I'm using fear very broadly here, so just follow me and maybe raise your hand if you're confused. Uh, but that is the thing that you fear. Whatever, whatever way you are walking in, that is the thing you fear. Let me illustrate uh, this with something that you're all familiar with, um, I think at least. Back in 2017, an entrepreneur by the name of Billy McFarland and uh, a rapper by the name of Ja Rule, in my opinion, one of the worst rappers ever. Uh, but anyways, they founded a luxury music festival called Fire Festival. And in short, Fire Festival, uh, is everybody somewhat familiar with Fire Festival by now? There's some awesome documentaries on Netflix and Hulu, I think, maybe. Uh, but in short, Fire Festival was going to be this exclusive, posh, once-in-a-lifetime experience of the music industry's top talents on this remote island that was supposedly owned by Pablo Escobar at some point. And they promoted it with footage of uh, supermodels on site and with social media influencers like Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid and Emily Ratajkowski. I had to learn how to say those names. Um big important people supposedly, and uh, they promised patrons like luxury villas and gourmet meals and a weekend full of your wildest dreams come true. The only problem though is that it was all an entire fraud. The whole thing was a fraud. Yes, patrons actually showed up. They bought tickets and they showed up, but musicians didn't. Musicians bailed, and instead of luxury villas, they were actually given repurposed FEMA tents. And instead of gourmet meals, they were given uh, pre-packaged sandwiches, and the entire thing fell through. The entire thing fell through. Now, what does that have to do with fear? What does that story and that illustration have to do with fear? And I would say this. I would say it has everything to do with fear because the whole premise a fire festival, the reason why they were able to make this thing work, right, was because they knew what people, people feared. 
They knew that people feared missing out. This is one of the many reasons why this worked, but one of the main ones is, is that they knew people feared. They feared that they would be missing out. It was a simple uh, FOMO. So they created this event, <clears throat> and they attached to it all these big musical acts and reputable influencers, and they conjured up this angst like, you do not want to miss this. And so what did people do out of fear of missing this? They walked accordingly. They took steps necessary to avoid FOMO. They purchased tickets. They updated their wardrobes so they would be uh, bedazzled with whatever it is that they needed to be wearing to be cool or whatever at this previously Pablo Escobar-owned island. They booked flights. They invested tons of money. They invested tons of time. They invested tons of energy all to pursue or avoid, however you want to look at it, the thing that they feared most, which was missing out on this weekend. The thing that they missed, that they feared most was missing out on this weekend. And here's the point. The point is that we all fear something. We all have fears. We just need to look at how we're walking if we want to find those fears. To use the language of the psalmist, what way are we walking in? That will often show us the fears that are driving our lives. So some of us fear never being loved, and so we overcommit to everything. And it's impossible for us to say no, and so we walk in the way of earning love wherever we can find it. Some of us fear criticism, and any criticism that we get devastates us. And so you take steps to barricade yourself from any vulnerability so that you never have to face that fear. You walk in that direction. All of us, uh, I would imagine, all of us feared middle school, and we begged our parents to buy us the right clothes with the right brands, anything to help us fit in uh, so that we weren't so awkward, but in re reality, we were incredibly awkward and we're never going to fit in with anybody. In fact, I think Morgan Kendrick actually, actually says, if you were cool in middle school, you're probably a terrible person now. So, yeah. Are there any terrible people on here? Anyways, I don't know. Uh, something to, to, to think on, to mull over. Uh, and then here's one that's actually really relevant today. Like many of us fear, uh, actually all of us do. Many of us, all of us fear groupthink. We fear uh, political intimidation. We don't want to have the wrong views. We don't want to have the wrong opinions. We certainly don't want to vote the wrong way. And so rather than doing the very obvious, very humane and human um, task of simply asking questions and learning and growing as people, what do we do? We, we double down and we walk as though uh, 15, our 15-year-old self or however old we are, we walk as though we've got it all figured out. We've known all of these things about what's going on in the world forever. It's just self-evident to us and everybody else is evil. It's a fear of groupthink. It's a fear of political imitation. Uh, intimidation. And so rather than actually like doing something that's very normal, which is simply ask questions, learn, show some humility, um, get curious, investigate, uh, we are coerced 
into the group. And uh, out of fear of rejection or cancellation, we tow the party line. Uh, we walk in what we fear. That's the point of the psalm. If we fear the Lord, we will walk in his ways. Uh, if we fear the world, we will walk in the world's ways. So that's that. That's the first thing. I, I just want you to see that we all fear something. I mean, there's different ways we can come at what I'm talking about here. I mean, call it idols, call it fears, call it desires, longings, whatever it is. But there's a fear dynamic to all of this that we're afraid of what may happen uh, if we don't acquiesce to whatever it is that's being demanded of us. Um, and the language uh, that the psalm, psalmist is using here is not foreign to us, as foreign to us as we would think, or we would like to think. We're always fearing things. It always makes us walk in a certain way and to strive for certain things, to secure certain things for our lives. And the psalmist knows this. And then the psalmist says, the only way that you can actually find the blessing that you seek, because that's what we're really after here. It's a blessed life, a full life, a good life, the good life. What does it mean to live a full life? Relationally full, emotionally full, vocationally full, spiritually full, physically full. What does that mean, right? And uh, it means that we're all like pursuing this blessed life. And so the psalmist says that the only way that we can get this is by fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. And so that leads us to our next point, um, which is, and our, our second and final point, um, what does it mean for us to fear the Lord? What does it mean for us to fear the Lord? Now, I said this at the beginning, that there's so many ways to skin this cat, as they say. There's so many layers to this onion. There's so many ways to go wrong with this. There's so many ways to go right with this. It's multifaceted. We're only going to kind of hit on one aspect of the benefit of fearing the Lord in the Christian life. And uh, so I want to just start off by taking a stab at what I think the Bible means when it talks about fearing the Lord. And I want to be really practical here. Um, because at the end of the day, like, uh, I want this to translate... Um, and what you do even when you get off of this Zoom call. Um, I, I think the heart of fearing the Lord means this. It's, it's when fearing the Lord is when who God is actually shapes what you do. The fear of the Lord means this. It's, it's when who God is actually shapes what you do. Because of who God is, it shapes how you live. Because of who God is, it shapes how you treat others. Because of who God is, it shapes your pursuit of holiness. In view or because of who God is, it shapes how you forgive others and how you forgive yourselves, how you love your enemies. Um, what you do, it shapes what you do. If your relationship with God does not change anything about what you do, it does not shape how you live, it does not shape how you feel, and listen to me on this one too, it doesn't shape how you struggle. I'm not pushing moralism on you right now. I'm saying 
that the fear of the Lord, who God is, impacts you existentially to your core. So that even at your worst, God is always in the room with you and you know it because you know who he is and he he shapes how you think. He shapes um, uh, how you struggle, how you feel, how you live. And And if your relationship with God does not equate to any of that, the psalmist is saying that you do not fear God. The psalmist would say, you don't know God. If you do, you barely know God. To fear the Lord means to obey the Lord. That's about as cut and dry as I think we can make it. Now, uh, the fear of the Lord may mean to obey the Lord, but I think uh, there's a really important question that we need to ask ourselves, and that is, what kind of fear are we talking about? Uh, What kind of fear are we talking about? I think it's important that we make a distinction here um, with fearing the Lord. Uh, Martin Luther who was a German theologian during the period of the Reformation, um, he really wrestled with this concept a lot because the thought of a God who induced some sort of um, like abusive fear into his subjects just didn't sit well with him, and rightfully so, because that's not really the picture that we get of God in the Bible. And so Luther made uh, what I believe is a really helpful distinction uh, between servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear and filial fear. Um, Servile fear is the kind of fear uh, that a prisoner of war in a torture chamber has for his tormentor or for his jailer or executioner. It's the kind of uh, dreadful anxiety that one experiences when they're in kind of clear and present danger. Uh, For you office fans out there, it's kind of like uh, somewhat akin to Michael Scott when he gets around Toby. Uh, He's just kind of... Um, grossed out, for lack of a more educated word. Or any Arrested Development fans on here? I'm re-watching Arrested Development. I actually think that is the greatest comedy of the past 20 years. And uh, it's similar to Buster Bluth when he sees um, uh, his fear of bow-tied seals because uh, a seal bit his hand off wearing a bow-tie. Anyways, servile fear uh, refers to a posture... Um, of servitude toward a malevolent malevolent owner. Servile fear refers to a posture of servitude toward a malevolent owner, which ironically is more akin to the fears that I mentioned above because we are, we are actually owned by those, like a malevolent owner. We're owned by the intimidation of the masses. We're owned by people-pleasing. We're owned by our... Uh, insatiable desire to be loved, and, and, and we can never find enough. Uh, filial fear, on the other hand, filial fear draws from the concept, the Latin concept, actually, uh, which where we get the idea of family, um, like the fear of a child uh, for his parents, for his or her parents. Um, a child, not in every case, uh, but... Um, Hopefully a child has a tremendous amount of respect and love for their parents and uh, genuinely wants to please them. So, for example, um, Holly and I, we try to instill in our boys the importance of cleaning up after themselves. So sometimes uh, it takes a little bit of prodding, but Gabe uh, will often clean up his playroom, and then when he's done, 
he comes to get me and Holly and he tells us, close your eyes. And he leads us to uh, his clean playroom. And he says, open your eyes. And we open our eyes. He goes, surprise, uh, because he's, he's, he's trying to show us what he's done. He's trying to please us. He genuinely longs to please his mom and his dad. Uh, some of that's because he's uh, a first child, the oldest child. Um, other parts are probably um, wholesome and good. But he genuinely longs to please us, not because he's afraid that we're going to torture or punish him, uh, but because in his eyes and in his little world, we are his primary source of security and love. We are his primary source of security and love. And we could use our power in other ways. We could use it in abusive ways or manipulative ways or condescending ways or coercive ways. But we choose to use our power to love our child as best we can. And that's what Luther is saying about the fear here. That's what God does. And this is what filial fear is. Filial fear is a fear that ignites acts of love and obedience in response to the experience of being loved. Filial fear uh, is a fear that ignites acts of love and obedience in response to the experience of being loved. So where, as we kind of bring this to a close, um, where do we experience the love of God at its fullest? You know, this psalm talks to us about the blessing that we receive uh, by fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. And it enumerates like blessings in the household with relationships and marriages and children and even in the city. Right, And even in our labor, our work, like tasting the fruit of our labor. But where ultimately in the Bible do we experience the love of God at its fullest? We experience the fullness of God's love in Jesus. And every psalm points us to Jesus because the reality, I would imagine everybody on this call does this because I know I do this. The reality is that we still go to God out of servile fear. Fear of his judgment. We go to God or we hide from God in fear of his wrath. We walk to God or away from God in fear of his condemnation. We walk to God or away from God in servile fear. But what the New Testament tells us is that it was Jesus who faced that fear for us. It was Jesus who faced the fear of God's wrath. It was Jesus that faced the fear of God's wrath so that we could face the fullness of God's blessing. It was Jesus who faced the fear of the Father's condemnation so that we could face the loving arms of the Father's embrace. It was Jesus who faced the fear of the law's demands of the law's demands so that we could face the freedom found in the gospel of grace. The fear of the Lord that Psalm 128 is talking about is totally different 
than the fears of the world that usually drive us. When I am fearful of not being accepted, when I am fearful of not having friends, when I am fearful of not being honest about who I am and the struggles that I have, when I am fearful of failure, everything that I do in response to that fear is an attempt to gain some sort of superficial love and security that will only be gone when I wake up the next day. But when I fear the Lord for who he is, and when I fear the Lord for what he's done for me, for his wonder and for his power and for his majesty and for his holiness, I do not fear him in order to gain his love. I fear him in awe and reverence because he's already given me his love. Something so undeserved, yet something that was so needed, was given freely to me. And when that hits you, when that sinks into your bones, that's when who God is actually shapes what we do. That love-induced fear of the power and the majesty and the glory and the holiness and the graciousness of God, that love-induced fear will cause us and lead us to walk in his ways. Let's pray. Father, we pray that um, even tonight you would continue to open up this psalm to us. And we pray that you would lead us and help us to walk into a healthy reverent, awestruck sense of fear of you. Um, fear that induces uh, joy in us and delight that in you we have a safe haven. We are protected. We have a cleft. We are grateful for you and for the work of Jesus. And we pray that this night, even in the midst of an election where our fears seem really near the surface of our hearts, we pray that Jesus and all of his beauty and um, all of his goodness would calm our fears so that we might walk after him and not after the world. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>